Welcome to the Calvary Podcast. Get ready to dive into an inspiring message. Our aim is to share teachings that bring transformation and hope to your life. So, open your heart, be ready to listen, and prepare for a powerful encounter with the Word. Let's get started. This message is the second part of the message, the positioning of prayer. The positioning of prayer. I want you to understand that prayer is not earning the favor of God. How many heard what I said? Okay, thank you. I'm going to try it over here. You you guys are sleepy this morning. Come on, let's go. Uh, Prayer is not begging with God, pleading with God, convincing God, uh, earning his, 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 His kindness. Prayer is communicating with God. It's talking with God. If I could say anything, and I chose that word intentionally, I, I would think that probably the best way to understand prayer in a growing way in your life, and that's what I want to share with you today, how do you continue to grow in prayer? How do we seize this moment of prayer that God is elevating in our church? And when I say elevating in our church, that's not just in this building, it's every one of us individually. Can you say amen to that? That there, there's a season where God is saying to us, I want to encourage you with this. Please hear me today. However you hear this message, it, it begins right where you are. This is not just for somebody who prays hours every day. I'm talking to the person who's just now learning how to pray. I'm talking to the person who does pray in an extended time daily. What I'm saying to you is God is wanting to meet us and engage with us right where we are and elevate our, our prayer time. He wants to elevate. He wants to open up to you, to me. Say me. Somebody say me. He wants to open up to us his presence in a greater way. And so prayer is how we talk with God. Prayer is how we communicate with God. Do you know you don't have to speak King James English to pray? Did you know that? Do you know you don't have to have a Bible degree to pray? Do you know you don't have to have a religious title to pray? If you're a born-again believer, you know Jesus Christ. The Bible says, therefore, we come before him with confidence to the throne of grace. Confidence with the throne of grace. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. And he says this to find help in your time of need. And so prayer is an ongoing journey with God. It's walking with him. It's learning to hear his voice. How many of you want to know that you're living in the will of God? How many want to live in the will of God? There's two ways you do that. By reading his word. His word is his will. By reading his word and by knowing the direction of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can live in the will of God. So prayer is not earning. It's not drudgery. It's not ritual. I don't mean an insult at a particular faith. It's not praying a same rote prayer with beads. It's, it's, it's not this ritual. It is this journey of relationship with God the Father. It is a connection. It is how we continue to grow. But the critical thing is that we're continuing to grow. Now, let me, uh, let me help you with something here just to illustrate this. Uh, we, we, what we're facing in our culture today, what we're seeing around us is a spiritual battle. You understand that, don't you? The lack of morals, the lack of ethics, the lack of identity, the assault on our children, uh, the gender confusion, the, the racial divides, the uh, socioeconomic differences. Our, our country has never been more polarized. Our country has never been more confused. Our country has never been more at a lack of identity than we are now. But you need to understand that, that, that at the heart of this, it's a spiritual battle. How many recognize that? We get hung up on the 
personalities, but we need to see the principalities behind it. These, these, most of the people you're mad at are just puppets in the hand of the enemy. And, and what we need to do instead of fighting with one another, we need to in the spirit cut the strings of the enemy over these people that Satan is using. Let, let, let me help you with something. For instance, uh, the conflict going on in Israel now. Now, now I'm going to speak to this church. I feel responsible for issues, but I'm not a politician. I'm not going to preach politics because my hope is not in Republicans or Democrats or independents or whomever. My confidence is in the Lord. But, but it's important we understand these issues. So, so here we are. We, we have the nation of Israel. The Bible clearly tells us we're to pray for their peace, that we are to stand with them, that we are to pray for them. In fact, you go all the way back to Genesis 12. What did God tell Abraham, who is the father of Israel? He said this to them. He said, I will do what? I will bless those who, and I will curse those. You ought to read your Bible, and we need to pay attention to what's going on. See, there, there's a lot of people, and a lot of people go to church. I want to help you that that are confused and upset, and who's right and who's wrong. Just read your Bible. If you go back and look at the land space of Israel, God gave that to them. You can read the description of the title deed. God gave the twelve tribes of Israel, and it, it occupied the land where the Gaza Strip is today. The modern-day nation of Israel gave that land uh, to the Palestinians as a gift. And so uh, with the recent attack of the Hamas terrorists against Israel, they have gone in to clear the terrorists out of that land space. If Canada were to do what Hamas did to Israel, if Mexico were to do to us what Hamas did to the citizens of Israel, you would be irate and incensed. If we did not take appropriate action to stop that from happening again. I see some of you are quiet already. It's like, well, but, but there's somebody I like and he's pro this stuff. Well, there's somebody I like and he's pro Israel. His name is God. I choose God. So what I want you to see is that we, 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 we don't hate Palestinians. We, we don't hate that. I'm praying for the hostages that have been taken for their delivery and safety. I'm praying for Israel to be victorious. I'm praying for wicked terrorists anywhere on this planet to be annihilated. But I'm also praying for salvation for those who live in the Gaza Strip and praying that God will be there. You know, I, w- I would say this, uh, and I waited this till last because, see, some people like uh, natural man-sounding things better than spiritual-sounding things. But when I look at that conflict, even if you don't understand the spiritual thing, you know that a real man in a time of war puts the women and children behind him and protects them. But the terrorists there put the women and children in front of themselves and hide behind their skirts. So how do you respect a man like that? And how do you see anything in that regard? So that's just a little illustration of where we are. How we need to think. Well, but I, I, I like this person and, 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 and my politics over here tell me I have to, well, you better decide are, are your politics written by the Bible or do politics tell you what you believe about the Bible? And so, and so I'm unashamed to talk about a clear biblical precedent. And why do I do that? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. It's an introduction to this because the Bible tells us we're in a season. We need to put on the armor of God. We need to think clearly. 
We need to have spiritual discernment. We need to be able to take the Word of God and look at everything that's going on. How does this fit the Word of God? We need to reassess our loyalties. Are our loyalties to the Word or to our friends or to our family or to a political party? Is our loyalty to God or do we have loyalties, commitments, and connections that are causing us to waffle on what the Word of God said? Okay? So we, we see this conflict we're in. We, we see this confusion and, 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 and these things that are going around us. And the Bible says that it's spiritual warfare, that we're dealing with these things. And then Ephesians 6, I drop down. And, and let's look here in uh, verse 17 and 18. What does it tell us? We, as he sums up this, spirit, this, this spiritual armor, this, this information about spiritual battle, he says to this, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Do you know why a lot of Christians are getting beat up and knocked around and lose every battle? They're going into a sword fight with a butter knife in their hand. They're going into a fight without a weapon because they don't know the word of God. Can I be very clear with you? However good you may feel today, and I hope you, I'd rather you feel good than bad, but however good you may feel at the end of today, that's not going to carry you through this next week. You better have some word in your life that you can stand on and win. That's why I try to put as much scripture as I can in a message. That's why I try to put it in you because the only weapon we read about in this context is the word of God. So what does he say? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray how? In the spirit when? On all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And what? Always keep on praying for all the same. So there are two things that that, that we are clearly told to, to activate, to practice in our life, and that's familiarity with the Word of God. Reading your Word, memorizing your Word, speaking that Word, and praying on all occasions with all kind of prayers in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you live in this day and time. That's how you move in the purposes of God in your life. And so we looked at, we looked at this uh, encounter that Elijah and Elisha had. Let's go to 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Here's an illustration in the Old Testament of what we're, what we're seeing here. 1 Kings, turn there with me, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. I'm going to hit this very quickly because I want to move into this, this next area. 1 Kings 19, just to make sure we don't leave anybody behind. 1 Kings 19, 19. Now, what do we have? Elijah is the prophet of the day. God is using him in incredible and amazing ways. But God tells him, Elijah, I'm about to transition. You're about to transition. You need to raise someone up to follow you. I want you to get this this stream as I go through the rest of this message. And I want you to see that it is very clear in what we're going to read that if the church does not raise up the next generation, we are failing our responsibility. How many heard what I just said? If we are not focused on praying for, passing on, living in front of, causing young people to have a hunger for God, we are missing our mark. I want to say to the church, this church, any church, that our job is not just to make ourselves comfortable and do things the way we like them, 
and put ourselves first. Is anybody listening to me? Our job is to be bringing up a generation who will bring the gospel and, and fulfill the purpose of God. That's our responsibility. And so we, we find this throughout. So here we are, 1 Kings 19 and verse 19. So Elijah went from there. Well, that's what a statement. I wish I could teach you just that. You know, we just read something and go on. Where did he come from? Where was his there? So Elijah went from there, from fire coming on Mount Carmel, from, from the miracles that God happened. So Elijah went from there and found... That's an intentional moment. Are you with me? He didn't just stumble on somebody and decide, hey, I'm going to pick that guy. No, I want you to see God had an assignment for Elisha. God has an assignment for every one of us in this room today. What I'm praying we grasp in this message is that God is looking for me today. You're not having to look for God. Are you with me, church? God is looking for you and I today. He, he is looking for you and me. He is looking for us. He is. He has something to give us. Are you with me? God wants to give you something today. God wants to put something in your life today. Elijah had a, an incredible life, but he knew one of the things I have to do is pass this on. And so under the, the direction of God, he found a young man named Elisha. I believe the Holy Spirit is looking for you today. I believe that uh, in the good sense, in the good sense, your picture is on the post office of heaven. You're most wanted. You're one of the most wanted. The Holy Spirit's looking for you to give you something that you need at this season in your life. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving a 12th pair. You know, I could be wrong, because I haven't been everywhere, don't know everything, but personally, I've never seen God use somebody that's lazy. I'm going to have a sealer moment with that right now. You know, I've never seen God anoint a lazy person today to do a job tomorrow. I've, I've never seen it. I've never seen God find somebody who's always saying someday as their theme song. I've always seen God find somebody who's living today. He's working where they are with what they have. May have a passion to be a prophet, but if all he's got an oxen, he's plowing. Anybody, anybody tracking with me today? Jesus, help us. I can see this. All right. So he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his mantle. Hey, I've got it in the NKJV because I like the word mantle. So let me, let me read this. He was plowing that Elijah passed him and do what? Threw his mantle on him. This is pretty cool. It's almost like uh, he didn't walk up and make a big deal out of it and have a big conversation. He just walked by him and kept going. You understand? Sometimes, you know, when God's looking for you, he knows where you are. Or you got to be ready. Say ready. And sometimes God just comes by and says, boom, tag, you're in. He doesn't call a big thing, doesn't have a big prayer meeting, doesn't go through all the... He just said, boom, you're it. He just passing. So let's look at verse 20. So something hit him. And this is what happened. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. You see this man's heart? I mean, he's busy. He's working. And this guy he doesn't know comes by and just lays something on him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want some of that. 
I don't know what that was, but I want some of that. I don't know who that was, but I'm not going to keep doing what I've been doing. I just had an encounter with the presence of God. Come on, we need more people like that. Don't you? Don't you want to be that kind of person? I mean, what else does God have to do for us? What else does he have to do? Boom. He says, come on. Uh, he said, look, I'm going to kiss mom and dad goodbye, and I'm with you. Let's roll. And he said, go back. What have I done? I mean, see, it's almost like, nah, you don't have to do this. Next verse. So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh, used their equipment, gave it to the people. They ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. His life changed. One encounter with God changed him. One encounter changed his life. Do you believe that can happen today? Do you believe that? I believe one encounter with God can change your life. I believe you can be born again and you're going in that direction. Now you're going that direction. Doesn't mean everything's perfect and online, but I mean you shifted direction. Your life changed. Anybody believe that's still how it's supposed to be? Isn't that what happens when you're born again? I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I see. I once was this and now I'm set free. God, I'm following after you. I may stumble, but I'm going to get up and go after you. I may trip, but I'm going to get up and go after you. It's not my perfection, but it will be my direction. I'm going to keep going in that way. I was over there and now I'm over here. If you're going to hang with me, you got to go this direction. Sorry, if you want to stay there, stay there, but I'm going to go over here. Well, you know, I know you're my this and you were my that. And I know we did this and I know we did that. But I'm going over here right now. That's who we are. It's where we go. So he had this encounter. That's all I'll say about that today. So I, 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 want, us to, I want us to go to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. Let's break this down today. And so this mantle had touched him. Now, in the Old Testament, the mantle was the symbol of the prophet's call. This mantle, the prophet kept on and you know i had one out here a couple of weeks ago the mantle was the outer uh symbol the outer recognition that he was a man of god that he was called into this office it represented simply the power and presence of god and so you and i in this new testament dispensation we do not have to have somebody put a robe on us but we do need the power of god to come on us We do need the Holy Spirit to work in us. And that's what happened to Elisha. My prayer for myself and for my children and grandchildren and for you and your family is that we will have those moments where we come into the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit has touched us in such a way that it transforms our life. That we say, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been searching for in my life. I was this guy, now I'm that guy. I was this woman, and now I'm this woman. Why? Because I've come in contact with a real and a living God. This generation that we're in, listen to me, they're not going to be impressed with a lot of things we think are important, but they will know when they've been touched by the presence of God. We have a generation of people that are unchurched, that don't know what the Bible says. Listen to me. And you're not going to win a debate. You're not going to win an argument. You're not going to win a political issue. But when the power of Almighty God touches their life, then you have a point of reference that they've never encountered before. We need more Christians with more power in their life. You know, I could say it this way. Really, that, that may not be the exact statement. We need more Christians who will allow God's power to flow through their life. We've got enough power. We just need to connect it to some people. All right. So so this mantle touched him. Elisha knew there was more to come. 
See, Elisha knew that, that I'll never be who I was before. Listen closely. I'll never be who I was before, but I'm not yet who I'm going to be. There, there's, there's some ground for me to make. There's some process for me to follow. And so Elisha determined, I'm going to seek, I'm going to stay, I'm going to walk, I'm going to process, I'm going to persevere because what touched me and started this journey, God has something for me. And so it's illustrated here. So now, it's this final day, the last day of Elijah's earthly life. And everybody knows it, that's prophetic. But the question is, who will position themselves to be at the right place at the right time? See, a lot of us call that luck. There's nothing to do with luck. It's all about being positioned. See, prayer, again, you got to get this. Prayer is not earning, it's not begging, it's not pleading, it's not a ritual. Prayer is allowing you to walk with God, hear God, be in the right place so that when your moment comes, you're there. So that when the opportunity arises, you're there. Because this is what I know. If God is ready and the moment is right and he's ready to do something, he has someone he wants to use. But if you're not ready to be used, guess what he does? He's going to find somebody else because there's a need he's going to meet. I remember Catherine Coleman, I shared this with you, a incredible healing ministry. She said, somebody asked her, how do you not become over uh, proud or uh, in yourself and, and take some of this. She says, well, when God called me into this ministry, he told me he'd already been to three men and that turned him down. She said, so I was just his fourth choice. Keeps my head level. When God gets ready to do something, are you listening to me, church? He's got somebody in mind. He's going to find someone. But if that person isn't ready, that person doesn't say yes. I'm not saying they never get another opportunity, but I'm saying at that moment, he's not going to let a disobedient, slow person who's not ready for the moment keep God from loving and helping and healing and hurting the people that need it right then. What did Esther's cousin Mordecai say to her? He said, Esther, God put you in the palace. Esther, God raised you up. Esther, you were an orphan. You were, you were a, a person that was brought into this heathen nation because Israel fell. You were an orphan. You were, in essence, the spoils of war. You were the least likely person to be in this position. Are you tracking with me? That's their four. He said, but you need to know something, sweetie pie. He said, I know you're pretty and all that. You'll have to read Esther and know what I'm talking about. He said, I know you've been to the spa every day for the last two years. I know you look good. I know you smell good. I know you buy your clothes from Saks Fifth Avenue. I know everything in your closet got a designer brand on it. Girl, I know you got it going on. But what you need to know is that God put you in this place. And he didn't put you in this place to be Gucci and, 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 and help me out. I don't know many designer things, but all that other stuff. He didn't put you here for that. What he put you here was for this moment. When his people are about to be annihilated. But he said, you need to know something. That if you don't step up and do what God put you here to do, God's going to find somebody else to do it. So you need to recognize that. So what we have to understand, that spirituality is not just knowing what I have. It's knowing what I'm supposed to do with what I have. See, that, that's what happens when the mantles touched you. And the Holy Spirit's come on you. And thank God Esther had the right stuff. She said, I get it. I'm going to fast and pray for three days. 
and that I'm going to go before the king. I'd rather die, what she said, than miss my moment in the kingdom. It's amazing. And so this is the moment. Elijah is there with Elisha, last day, 2 Kings 2. Uh, we have to be positioned in our prayer life. So verse 1, 2 Kings 2, 1. Uh, here, here's what we see. Let me, let me get some of these old notes out of the way. I got some new notes here I want to look at. 2 Kings 2, 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now watch this. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. I can't go back and read. This reminds me of my series, Run to the Roar. This reminds me of uh, of the person who's not always looking for the easiest way. This reminds me of the person who's not always following the crowd. Are you with me? This reminds me of the person who said, I know that's all I have to do, but I'm going to do something more. Everybody get, you're with me? You tracking with me? See, everybody wants the mantle, but not everybody wants to take the journey. Everybody wants the anointing, but not everybody's willing to take the walk. And so he said, you don't have to go. You know, there, there's a lot of people like that. They're just waiting for somebody to say, uh, you, you wake up on Sunday morning. Let's bring it home. Wake up on Sunday morning and, and, and somebody else in the house, you know, is they don't go to church anyway. And they want you to cook some eggs. And so they say, you don't have to go to church today. And you go, you know, I really don't. I mean, you don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't. You go to church because you are saved. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There's always going to be somebody say, you don't really have to do that. I mean, why are you reading your Bible? You really want to read that Bible? And then you really find out who's with you when, the, you know, those kids who want your money say, why are you writing that check? I'm going to tithe. You're going to tithe? Well, we could use that around here. See, there's some people that are always looking for somebody to tell them not to do what you ought to do. Come on, are you with me today? And then there's that person that says, I know I don't have to, but I'm going to. I know nobody's going to make me, but there's something in me that wants more. There's something in me that says there's got to be here. So watch this. Let's go. i got to read. So uh, Elijah said, you know, just stay here. The Lord sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now watch this. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? (laughs) He says, I know. Just quit talking about it. My translation. Verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. He said it again. Elisha, uh, the Lord sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. Verse 5. Here we go again. The company of the prophets. The prophets. Company of the prophets, huh? At Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, I know. Quit talking about it. Verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, third time, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Here we look at this. Fifty men this time of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. See, not everybody's going to walk as far as you're going to walk. Not everybody is as hungry as you might be hungry. Not everybody understands the moment. They may know this is the last day, but knowing it's the last day is not enough. What are you going to do on the last day? 
All right. So 50 men of the company of the prophets stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha stopped. Elijah took his cloak, his mantle, the thing that had touched Elisha initially, the presence of God that had started this journey, the presence of God that had captivated his heart. And here we're encountering again. So what did he do? Uh, he he uh, took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Guys, that really happened pretty awesome. I haven't ever seen that. You ever seen that? But that's the power of God. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me, if you're positioned right, if you're where you're supposed to be at that moment, see, God found you for a reason. And if you don't give up now, you're almost there. This is the last day. And if you don't get distracted, if you don't compromise, if you don't give in, if you don't listen to everybody else, if you're where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, are you hearing me? Because you've been praying. See, he said, if you see me when I'm taken, it will be yours. Otherwise not. Now let me stop there for a moment. So where do they start this journey? Back up quickly with me. They were where? Verse uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse number 1. They were at Gilgal. Let, let's look at these quickly. Let me just walk you through this process. These are altars in your life. Someone say altars. Altars. What are they doing? Positioning us for God's will to be done in our life. Positioning us for us to grow in our faith and in our journey. These are altars. These altars are available to everyone who heard what I said. But not everybody wants to go to this altar. These altars are available to everyone. I'm telling you today, God has something for you. I say that to every individual in this room, every individual online, every individual hearing this message at any time or place. God has something for you. He has found you just like Elijah found Elisha. And so will we position ourselves in prayer. I believe there's a mantle on Calvary to pray. I believe that prayer siege released an opportunity on us. And I believe God is saying right now, please hear me. And if you will keep walking with me, I'm going to do some things you've never seen me do before. If you'll keep praying, I'm going to do some things in your family that you've not yet seen me do. I'm going to give you opportunities. In other words... The door is open. Who will walk through the door? It's set before us. An open door is set before us. These altars are the positioning of God. So, so Gilgal. Let's go to Joshua 4.19 quickly. Joshua 4.19. What do, we, what do we know about Gilgal? What happened in this place? Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse number 19. Let, let, what do we read here? Gilgal, listen, listen to me, was the first camp... When they finally got into the promised land. 40 years they wandered in the desert. All the original generation had died because of their unbelief. And now this new generation, they're going to step in. They're, they're going to finally move into the land that God promised them. The land of Israel that we talked about today. And this is the encounter, right? Let's, let's watch this. Joshua 4 verse 19. Gilgal. Why were they at Gilgal? What happened there? What did that altar represent? Verse number 19, Joshua chapter 4. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal. 
When the Bible says they went up, they too had just walked over on dry ground. God had done a miracle at the Jordan to remind them of the one he did when the Red Sea was parted. He was saying to this generation, don't you worry. If I parted the Red Sea for mom and daddy, I'm going to part the Jordan for you. I'm the same God that parted the Red Sea that you're serving right now. Is anybody hearing me today? This thing's all about generation. It's all about you and I, not not just living the rest of our lives on cruise control, but saying if God did it when I first got saved, God will do it for me right now. Is anybody listening to me today? So we need a resurrection of our faith. We need a resurrection of our first love. Everybody with me? The church needs to believe. We need to stop preaching the doctrine in this nation. I don't want to break this. We need to stop preaching the doctrine in this nation that we serve a lesser God than the God we read about in our Bible. We need to stop telling people, don't expect him to do what he did. We need to stop lowering the expectation and we need to boldly declare he's the same yesterday today and forever if he did it before he'll do it again god has not changed his word has not changed we've had enough watered down wimpy weak back preaching in this nation compromise giving in waffling we needs a generation that will rise up and say my god parted the red sea my god will part the jordan if he did it before he'll do it again that's the god we serve that's the church we are so he, t- he shows them i gotta i can't preach every verse like that help me jesus on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. They had crossed the Jordan. They were just in the promised land. Jericho was right in front of them. Verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. As they went through, as they went on dry ground, he said, now go back and get one stone for each of the 12 tribes and bring that stone with you out of the bed of the river and make a memorial with those 12 stones. Why? Why? Watch this. He said to the Israelites, verse 21, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Watch this. What do we tell them? For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. he Why did he do it? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He said you make a memorial and your children and your children's children are going to ask you sometime, what do those 12 stones represent? And when they do, you tell them loud and strong and clear, our God is the same God. My God that did it before did it again right here. You need to know he's the most powerful God on this earth. We need that testimony. We need that testimony. And so, what is Gilgal? What's that altar? It's the altar of memorial. It's the altar of testimony. It's, it's, it's the altar that says to a next generation that you can see God. He is real. He is mighty. See, I, it's good to tell them about what God did in our life, but it's even better to show them what God did in our life. Our children need to have the same encounter, the same experience. To see the same miracles, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be saved and their, their lives changed. They must see and know. But something else happened there. 
And see, this was the first stop. There were some things, listen to me, church, that had to be taken care of if this journey was going to keep going. Everybody with me? There were some things they had to address. Look at chapter 5. This happened at Gilgal in verse 7. So he raised up their sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. Now stay with this. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. For 40 years they hadn't observed it. God told them. He told Abram. He said this is the sign of covenant with God and your people. Circumcision is the outer sign of covenant. But for some reason, watch this, while they were wandering, while they were griping and murmuring, while they were disobeying and losing the inheritance God promised, they failed to keep the sign of the covenant with God. So he says, that's what he said, we're not going to go anywhere until we get this right. With me? He said, I'm not going to overlook this. I'm not going to do the things I want to do to your obedience lines back up with me again. All right? So let's keep reading. So he raised their sons up. They were still uncircumcised, verse 8. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, when after they remained where they were in camp until they were healed, verse 9. Then, see these words? These words are all important. Then. You recognize that? Not before. Then. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Did you read that? Okay. So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. Literally the word Gilgal in Hebrew means rolled away. He said this is what's happened. Okay. Now let me stop there. So what happened? Do you see the power of obedience? Do you see that, that what they had disobeyed God and said, we just want, we're not going to do that anymore. Well, why did they quit doing it? Just I don't know when to do it. But God said, that's the sign of my covenant. That's how you obey me. It separates you. You need to understand, there was not another nation on the face of the earth that exercised circumcision. There was not one other group of people that followed that. God says, this makes you mine. This distinguishes you from everyone else. Oh, are, are you hearing me today? The, this, this author said, we got to get some things right if you're going to position yourself in prayer. There's some altars you kneel at, and they're not just altars about, God, give me this, God, give me that. God bless me here, God bless me there. Is everybody with me right now still? Are you with me? Do you want to be at the right place when God's anointing and the mantle comes on you? Well, there are going to be some altars where it's not about what I'm getting, it's about what God's getting. It's about what I'm obeying again. And there are going to be some altars where you have to take some time and say, I haven't done this, I need to do this. Do you hear me, church? Obedience matters. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my command." We don't cut and paste and pick and choose. He said, you're not going to get to the next place till you get this altar right, right here. You haven't honored me. You haven't obeyed me. When you obey God, then you get up from that altar. He said, I'm so glad you did that because I've got more altars for you. I've got other things out in front of you. But I'm not going to ignore my word because you ignored my word. I'm not going to accommodate your disobedience because it was uncomfortable for you. There are going to be some time to obey the word of God will be momentarily uncomfortable. But if we don't say yes to God, we never get to the next altar in our life. Everybody with me on that? This whole thing started at the altar of Gilgal. Then he said, okay, let's move on. Let's go to Bethel. Bethel. I I, I need to, I got to really speed this up. Bethel, first place we read about it. 
Abram, before he got to be Abraham, we're back in Genesis, disobeyed God. There was a famine in the land. God said, you stay in the land. What did Abram do? He runs down into Egypt to get away. He didn't believe God could take care of him. And, and what happens when we move out from under the will of God? What happens when we step out from under what God has told us to do? Then we, we start taking responsibility to make life work. Then it's up to me. So what does he say to, to, to his wife, Sarah? He says, look, we're going down to some bad boys down here. He said, you're a beautiful woman. The, the king's going to want you for his wife. And so that means he's going to kill me to get to you. So here's the plan. Say you're my sister. What a winner, huh? What a winner. He was a real guy, wasn't he? What a stand-up guy. Thanks, Abram. Just give your wife away, you little chicken. Little coward. Come on, what a dude. You know what I'm saying? If we were picking a football team, he's the last guy picked. This guy's a wimp. He got no backbone. He got no courage. Cares about nobody but himself. Sounds like a lot of men today. Never mind. So let's go on. So, so, so we, we, we get to this place, and, and, and what happens, he, he said, look, girl, you're fine. You know how fine you are. Just lie. Let's just compromise. Let's just lie. Well, you know, it didn't work. He sent it back. He had enough sense to do this. First thing he did when he gets back into the place where God had placed him. See, when, when, when you take the detour, when God says, let's go this way, and you go, well, I'm going to get back to you on that, God. And you go back over here. You with me? Start doing your own thing. Lie. Tell them you're my sister. That's not working. You know what you got to do? You're going to have to go right back. And when you get right back, here's what you need to do. You need to get on your knees at a place called Bethel. That's where he was. And say, God, I am a knucklehead. I don't say, well, it's not my fault. It was a, it was a famine and Sarah's the most, you know, Miss Universe and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I say, God, I'm a knucklehead. Can anybody ever pray that prayer? I'm a blooming knucklehead. I got no excuse. I blew it. It was dumb. Are you listening to this? I was wrong. I'm sorry. God says, okay, let's get this thing going again. Bethel. Fast forward, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his grandson, is traveling because he's lied to his brother Esau, stolen his birthright. But here's the faithfulness of God. Along the way, think of this. Jacob lays down to go to sleep. Man, they must have some bad pillows. It says he found a rock and put his head on it to go to sleep. I'd rather sleep on the ground. I don't know about it. That's strange customs. Put a rock. And had a dream. In the dream, he saw a ladder. Going from earth to heaven, the angels coming up and down. And there was God on the top, and he says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to put, make your people as, as, as numerous as the stars and the dust. Cover this land. I'm still with you. Aren't you thankful? You know where that place was? Bethel. Do you know that God will find you on the way sometime and remind you of his promises and he'll build an altar and he'll walk into your life and sometimes don't you need a fresh touch from God on the way when you think it's not going to happen and it's going to be a long way and you blew it and you missed it. Bethel's the altar where you get things back right with God. It's where you come back around and say, God, I know your hand's still on me. And isn't that what God says at Bethel? I know you blew it. I know you messed up. But because you're I'm going to remind you everything I ever promised 
promised you, I'm going to still do in your life. I'm still going to bless you and prosper you and multiply you. You just got to walk this thing out with me. That's Bethel. Let me hurry on. And then he says, you just stay here. He said, no, I'm not staying. He said, I'm going to Jericho. Jericho is the next altar. It's where you've gotten past uh, uh, your disobedience and you're over here and you've gotten back right with God and said, are you finally ready to take some territory? Jericho is the altar of spiritual warfare. God says, we're going to take some ground now. You've just been getting back to where you were. Now, Jericho, see, let's go take the land. Let's go get your promise. Let's go get your purpose. Let's go do your dream. Let's go make this happen. Jericho is doing it. He says, however, I don't want you to do it like you've been doing it. He said, you guys have been messing this up. He says, Jericho, walk around it once a day for six days. And don't you open your mouth. You know why? My version, the George Sawyer paraphrase. He was sick and tired of 40 years of why, 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 why. So he says, zip it. Just walk around and don't say anything. Once a day. Can, do you know how hard it was for those people? That's all they'd ever done. I've thought about calling a Jericho fast for our church. Huh? Or just say, look. I don't know if you're going to pray or not. Just don't talk. Just put Facebook up. Just get off Instagram. I know those are old-fashioned things. Just don't tick your talk. Just get off of it. Okay? Just stop. I said that wrong on purpose. Just get off this. And don't talk. You know what God was showing them? See, they had won a lot of battles. They are going to win some wars. But he said, I want you to show you in the beginning... This is a spiritual battle. You're not going to win or lose because of who you are. You're going to win because of who I am. Since now on the seventh day, I'm going to let you go around six times again on one day. But on the seventh time around, you're going to shout. You're going to take that mouth that murmured your family right out of their birthright blessing. And you're going to shout the glory of God. We're going to take your mouth back. We're going to take your words back. We're going to take your faith back. And you're not going to do anything. I'm going to knock the walls down and give you this first city. Jericho. Jericho. Where we begin to learn the spiritual warfare and the battles of God. Finally, he says, look back with me in 2 Kings chapter 5. He says, look at this. He said, I want you to see. We're ready to go. We're at Jordan. We're at the Jordan. And so what is Jordan? Jordan, he says, you know, it's no turning back. Jordan means I'm not going back. That's the altar of Jordan. Jordan is where you kneel and you say, you know what, God? I'm done going back. I'm done being in and out. Anybody with me this morning? I'm done going in and out and in and out and in and out. I'm in this thing. I'm not going back. I shared with our anointed excellence this year on the Hebrew calendar, which is God's calendar, is the, is the year 5784. Four is defining this year. It's the Hebrew word or picture of that number of a door. This is the year of the door. Jordan's a door. That's how you get out of the wilderness and walk into your promised land. That's how you leave all this stuff that had ruined a whole generation and you walk into the promises of God. The, the altar of Jordan is when you say, I'm going to walk through the door. It's open. I'm not going back. Anybody with me? It's a place where, where, where you move forward. So, so what, what did he do? What did he do? Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 5 
let's see. I'm, I'm not in five yet. I'm already over. Second Kings chapter two. Let's look at verse 11. I'm going to wrap this up. Look at verse 11 with me. As they were walking along and talking together, remember he said, if you see me, if your position, if you pray these altars that you're where you're supposed to be, something's going to happen for you. You want a double portion. So verse 11, as they were walking along, 2 Kings 2, verse 11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. My goodness. Okay? Verse 12, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more than he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the mantle. What did he want? What had he been asking? What had he been saying? God, it's my moment. Do you realize that mantle fell? There were 50 prophets over here, but they weren't there when it fell. There were prophets that were at Gilgal, prophets at Bethel, prophets at Jericho, prophets at the Jordan, but nobody's standing where Elisha was standing when the mantle fell. Why? Because he had positioned himself in prayer. And so what happens? He picked up the mantle that had fallen and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak, the mantle that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Look at this statement. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. God is constantly wanting to show you that what he did before, he'll do again. That what he did in this generation, he'll do in the next generation. Listen to me. But it will always require someone with the power of the Holy Spirit on their life. It will always require a church who has positioned itself in prayer so that everything God promised he would do, he could do. God will not anoint our flesh. He will anoint our surrender to him. He will position us by our altars. He will have a mantle ready. I'm telling you, God wants to give you a double portion today. God wants to give. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about of himself. God wants to give the church in America at the end of 2023 an anointing of holy boldness in our life. God wants to give us a double portion. Is anybody hungry for a double portion in their life? God wants you to get your fire back. God wants you to get your zeal back. God wants you and me to get our hunger back. He wants us to get our courage back. Is anybody listening to me today? You know, if you used to tell people about Jesus and you don't tell them about him anymore, if you become too cool, too refined, too socially acceptable, God wants to put a fire back in your belly again. He wants to put an anointing back on your heart again. He wants to resurrect your prayer life again. He wants to resurrect your hunger for the word again. Why? Because God said, I will not let the enemy mock me. I will not let the enemy take my ground. I'm going to show myself strong again. He wants us to somebody to pick up the presence of God and say, show me. The presence of God. Now listen, here's, here's the thing you gotta miss. Here's the thing you can't miss. Elijah, watch this church. I'm worship team, come. Come on, come. Elijah, what did he do on his last day on earth? What happened to him? What, what happened to the anointing? What happened? Tell me, you just read it. What happened? It passed on to Elisha. Are you with me? Elijah fulfilled the will of God in his life and passed something on to the next generation. Now, Elisha, I wrote them down. I don't have time this morning. 14, pardon me, 13 miracles I read about through Elisha after that day. Incredible things. 
He first began to do things for individuals, and then it began to happen for nations and kings and government and influence. God wants to give an anointing on the church. That's not just to put bread on my table. Not just to put gas in my car. Come on, somebody's got to hear me right now. Let's not get a goosebump on Sunday morning. God wants to put an anointing on his church where, we, where, where the president begins to say to some man or woman of God, so what are the Syrians about to do? So what's the enemy about to do? Come here, come here. I need these prayer people in my house. I need these prophet people in my house. And, 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 and God began to use him to anoint kings and speak to governments and save nations. Incredible life. But you listen, he still missed something. He missed something. Because at, we read a few years after Elisha died that there were some raiders coming and a man was being carried to his graveside and the raiders came up and they said, we got to get out of here. And they looked around and, well, there's, a, there's Elisha's tomb. And they threw the dead body in Elisha's tomb. And when the dead body hit Elisha's bone, he raised him from the dead and he came back out. And we shout, hallelujah, what a miracle. And, I, and it is. But here's the problem. He took his anointing to the grave with him. Elijah passed his on. And Elisha, as great as he was, took the call to the grave. He didn't pass it on to another prophet. He didn't hand it to another generation. The power went to the grave with him. And what I'm telling us today is that God cannot afford for the generation that knows him to take his power to the grave with him. God must have a church that so models him, lives him, breathes him, and sees him that our children know our God, that, that, that their mama's God becomes their God. That their father's God becomes their God. That what is happening in here is happening in that children's move right now. That what's happening in here is going to happen in that link building and in that building right now. Do you understand? No matter how great our life has been, if we take the anointing to the grave, we've missed the assignment of our life. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray together right now. Elisha took the anointing to the grave. God's looking for a church that'll pass it on. That'll pass it on. I believe he has enough for more than one generation. What about you? I believe he does. I believe he has enough for more than one race. More than one denomination. More than one generation. More than any group, God has enough to pass on. But if they've never seen it in us, why do they want it? I pray that your kids, my kids, your grandchildren, my grandchildren, I pray that somewhere in our life, some mantles touch them. Some Holy Spirits touch them. Where they begin to say, well, I was going to do this, but I'm going to follow Jesus now. See, we, we, we haven't made it if we don't pass it. If it doesn't happen, he's big enough. He's great enough. Thank you for listening today. We hope you found this message uplifting and encouraging. If you're looking to connect in person, we gather every Sunday at 10 a.m. You can also find us online at calvaryassembly.org. And don't forget to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for more content, 
updates and to stay connected with our community.